Chapter Twenty Nine of the Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sherry Gardner. The Ghost Ship by John C. Hutchison. Chapter Twenty Nine. Home at Last. Fellows who knock about the world sailoring and so on cannot help coming to the conclusion that its compass is narrower than stay-at-home folk might be inclined to believe, for you can hardly stir a step without knocking across someone whom you previously imagined to have been miles and miles away, separated, perhaps, by an ocean from yourself. I had scarcely stepped into the train from Southampton, bound Londonwards, en route for Liverpool, having only landed from the mail steamer that brought me direct all the way from Cologne that very morning, when whom should I see looking at me from the opposite corner of the railway carriage but a big, bushy-haired, brown-bearded man whom I did not know from Adam. Fate! exclaimed this gentleman after a moment's scrutiny, a broad grin lighting up his face and his eyes twinkling with a comical expression that would alone have made me recognize him, had I not heard his delightful, to me at any rate, Irish brogue. You're either Dick Haldane or the devil, stretching out both hands to grasp mine. I was as pleased to see him as may readily be believed as the genial Irishman was to see me, I was sure, even without his telling me so. Well, said I, after we had pretty nigh wrung each other's hands off in friendly greeting, and how are you all getting on aboard the dear old barky? I want to hear about everybody. Biggle, Dick, give me time to recover me breath, me boy, and then I'll tell you everything. And then he continued in a bashful sort of way, unlike his usual off-hand manner. I've left the say for good, and set up for a doctor ashore on me own hook fate. Why? I exclaimed in great surprise. How's that? Bedad, you'd better ax your sister. What? My sister Janet? Fate, yes, the very same little darling over Colleen. Dick, ya spalpeen. Just let me shake your fist again, lad. I'm the happiest man in the world. Phew! I whistled through my teeth. This is indeed a surprise. Then it all came out. Gary telling a long yarn about his calling at my mother's house to ask about me some few months back, and meeting there Elsie, whom he had no difficulty in identifying, he said, as the little girl of the ghost ship. Though she had grown a bit taller, and was more good-looking than he remembered her at the time he saw her on board the Saint-Pierre. But, good-looking as she was, he did not think her to be compared to my sister Janet, with whom he had evidently fallen in love at first sight, and very deeply so, too. On his subsequently declaring his passion, impetuous as usual, after a very short acquaintance, my mother insisted, as a first step, to entertaining his suit that he should leave the sea, as he had another profession by which he was quite capable of supporting a wife as well as himself, if he so pleased. Fate! And I went and bought a practice at once. 
"'Have a sneak little swum stowed away in the bank,' continued Gary. "'The savings of me pay for the last five year and more, "'besides that money we all got for salvaging the French ship, sure, "'of which I never spent a hapeth. "'But, haven't then, dick old chap, your dear old mother want satisfied. "'Bless her old heart. "'She said that your sister and meself would have to wait to get married till you came home.' "'Yes, Spalpeen, and not then even.' "'if so be as how ye turn nasty and disagreeable "'and refuse your consent. "'Fade, ye won't now, will ye? "'Or be dad, I'll be after breaking every bone in your body, "'a veckin' then after plaster ye up again.' "'To avoid such a terrible contingency, "'I there and then gave my hearty consent to the arrangement "'he and Janet, with my mother's concurrence, "'had thus planned without my knowledge. "'Although, really, if I had been inclined to grumble at not being informed previously of what now so unexpectedly transpired, I had only time and distance to blame, not the parties concerned, for the engagement was of so recent a date that the news of it, though on the way through the post, had not reached Venezuela when I left. After I had answered a lot of Gary O'Neill's questions concerning myself and the time I had passed in South America— speaking too of poor colonel vereker whose death he had learnt from my mother i began again asking in my turn all about my old shipmates and of course his own also feed the skipper as fine and flourishing he informed me and the old barky as good and as sound as ever she was do you recollect old stokes of course i do i said is he still chief no no he retired a year ago or more on a pension which the company gave him for his long service and little grummet you remember him well he's promoted sure to old stork's billet the old chap though is alive and hearty and as asthmaticky as ever what's become of mr fawcett och be jabbers he's a big man now he's a skipper on his own hook just like cap'n applegarth He's got the old Fairly Queen, the second best boat, but one to the line. Do you recollect that old thief of a bosun we had on the style of the North? Why, you must mean poor old masters. I should think I did. That same, Alana, he wasn't a bad sort of chap, and a good seaman, every inch of him, though I used for to call him an old thief, just for fond and fancy, as the old song says. "'Well, he's lifted the old barky and gone with Cap'n Fawcett in the Fairy Queen. "'But you haven't axed me once after your old friend Spokeshave. "'Sure now, you haven't forgot little conky, fate?' <laughs> "'No, indeed,' said I, amused at his query and the funny wink that accompanied it. "'What has become of that spiteful little beggar?' "'Beggarer, you'll laugh and be amused, "'but he's a merely to a wife as big as one of them granny dears "'we once took in the old barky to Bermuda. "'Do you remember? Fate, she's six feet high "'and broad in the beam in proportion. "'They make a purty couple, but dad, "'and they do say she keeps him in order. "'Do you recollect what an argifying chap spoke shave was aboard? "'I should think I did indeed.' replied i i think he was the most cantankerous little beast i ever came across in my life either afloat or ashore fate ye wouldn't say that same now dick rejoined gary with much earnestness 
the poor little beggars as make as a cart, for he daren't call his soul his own. I asked after some of the other men belonging to my old ship, including Acre Prout, whom the colonel wished to accompany us to Venezuela, the mulatto refusing on the plea that, though he should always love his old massa, he could not go with him for one insurmountable reason. "'Guess I'd have associate with them tam black rascals than thar, massa. "'Dis child no like that no how. "'I's a never sparage my family by associating with niggers, massa, never. "'The Prout's long good old plantation stock, and raised in Louisiana.' "'This supercilious autocrat, it must be borne in mind, "'all the time being more than half a negro himself, though, for that matter,' His heart was better and his disposition braver than many a white man who would have despised his colored skin. Some of the other hands about whom I inquired had left the old barky and shipped aboard other vessels, so Gary told me, but at this I was not much surprised, sailors as a rule being fond of change and very unconservative in their habits. With such like conversation, my old messmate and I beguiled our long railway journey to Liverpool, which we reached the same evening, but before we had quite exhausted our respective questions and answers respecting everybody we had ever met or known during the time he and I had been to sea together. My meeting with my dear mother and sister after so long an absence abroad can be well imagined, and so too my first interview with Elsie, whom I should hardly have known again, for how can I describe her beauty and grace? And though I had been prepared in some measure from accounts my mother had sent me, still they exceeded my expectations. It would be impossible if I tried to picture her for a month of Sundays, as Captain Applegarth used to say on board the old barky when he thought a fellow spent too much time over a job. So, to make a long story short, and to avoid all further explanation, it need only be added that one fine day last summer, when the trees were all green and leafy, and the flowers abloom, and happy birds filling the air with song, Elsie and I were married. Gary O'Neill joined his lot with that of my sister at the same time, the two brides being given away respectively by the skipper, who managed to run the Star of the North home in time for the wedding and old Mr. Stokes, the chief engineer of the old barky, who had only to cross the road instead of the Atlantic to get to our house, as he lived near to us now, he also was present. Captain Applegarth, who was a very old friend of my mother's, and a kind one too, likewise lived in a good substantial house surrounded by a lovely garden in our pretty picturesque old village. To all whom it may concern, it may, in conclusion, be mentioned that this double-barreled affair took place in the quaint, old-fashioned, non-ritualistic, semi-gothic, and many-galleried old village church, of which so few remain now in England, situated close to our cottage, and where our widowed mother had, in our childhood, taught us to lisp our first prayers to heaven our dead father resting in the ivy-grown and flower-adorned graveyard adjoining. The nuptial knot was tied by Parson Goldwire, as everybody called him in the neighborhood, assisted by Matthew Jacon, 
the equally elderly parish clerk, without whose joint ministration on the occasion neither Janet nor myself would have believed the marriage ceremony had been properly solemnized, both my sister and myself, standing in much awe of the learned divine and his inseparable double, and holding to the creed that the austere pair represented the very quintessence of orthodoxy. End of chapter 29 Recording by Sherry Gardner